We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. It, yeah, it definitely feels like they don't make as much sense together as other sections have. Like these ones are kind of like, here's some, here's this one, this one. It's after the plan of salvation, so we don't, we can't put that with anything else. <laughs> and these are short enough, we can bunch them together. I think it's my understanding that the sections aren't in chronological order. Right. And I, I wonder if they debated for a long time whether they should pick chapters together by either theme or chronological order. Or just go from beginning to end because we're used to that pattern with all the other scriptures, you know. Well, it's funny because in the in the Revelations in Context book, it's always saying, you know, kind of when these things happened, and it's always like, yeah, this one happened uh, somewhere on this date, previous to the other two sections that precede it, you know. And it's like trying to kind of help you understand how they all fit together, and it's not it's not super fluid in that sense. Yeah, so section 77 is interesting because it's basically a Q&A. They have questions about this chapter from Revelation, and then there's answers. Um, the answers are not always the most clear. <laughs> you know, as I was reading them, I was like, okay, I would still be kind of wondering more about this uh, if if I were getting this revelation, you know. But it, it does kind of explain the meaning behind some of the symbols and some of the things that are mentioned in this chapter of Revelation. I like how um, there's two parts in 77 that really stuck out to me. The first one was in the answer to the second question, which the question was, you know, what do we, I, I believe that Hiram and Joseph are translating the Bible and they're going through Revelation and then they realize they have a bunch of questions to ask about it. Yeah. And um, this one, the answer to what are these four beasts that John the Revelator is speaking about? And the Lord re replies with, they are figurative expressions used by the Revelator John to describing heaven, the paradise of God, the happiness of man and of beasts, and creeping things in the fowls of the air, and the spiritual beings in the likeness of the which is temporal, and that which is temporal in the likeness of that which is spiritual. And the spirit of man in the likeness of his person, and also the spirit of the beasts and other creatures that God hath created. So the part that I liked about it is it seems, one, it's very clear that animals have spirits. They're not just mechanical objects in this existence and don't exist any other way, right? So whether that spirit is like the code that runs them, <laughs> so they say with us, you know. And I thought it was really interesting when he says, well, it's the figurative expressions. It was written 
by how John the Revelator understood it and how he could liken things with his, which I felt it's pretty cool because the Lord has clearly gives his prophets pretty good freedom to explain and describe what they're experiencing, almost like it's their scriptural journal, you know, that they're writing. Yeah. Where sometimes I thought, I, I I think sometimes the Lord specifically tells them what to write, and then other times they're trying to write either visions or things that they've seen, which we saw in the previous version, when section 76, when when Joseph Smith and, and I think it was Sidney Rigdon saw the degrees of glory, they're trying to write to the best that they can express what it is, you know? And so, I don't know, I thought it was kind of cool that uh, the John the Revelator wrote according to his understanding, which then to me makes the scripture make sense and actually makes me feel good about things I don't understand in the scriptures. Because sometimes I think, what well, doesn't God want people to understand this? Well, he's using humans that are using their own experiences. And it's our duty to travel on this path of understanding ourselves and get to the point where we can ask questions and get answers. Well, yeah, and it's clear that um, this is a revelation given to Joseph Smith about a revelation given to John. And that's kind of confusing because it's like, why didn't the Lord just say it clearly the first time? But he did say it clearly, like you were saying, to John. John would have understood this. And the fact that Joseph kind of struggles with it kind of also makes me feel okay because it's like, oh, <laughs> I'm not the only one that struggles to understand Revelation. You know, even the prophet was like, okay, we need to ask some questions and get some answers here. And then it also makes me feel okay when I read other scriptures uh, like Doctrine and Covenants, Book of Mormon, and I'm, there's things I come across that don't quite make sense to me because they weren't necessarily revealed directly to me. And I can also seek out answers to whatever questions I have about that. That's the interesting thing about this is even though Joseph Smith is the prophet and has that unique uh, standing in that role, each one of us can also ask similar questions to the Lord as we study and as we pray and as we seek to gain greater understanding of the scriptures. We can ask, what is this about? What is that? We can go to people that we know and trust and be like, hey, how do you understand this scripture? You know, and then pay attention to the spirit to see if we get revelation and guidance on that as well. It's not just something that can only happen to the prophet or can only happen in olden times. You know, like that's plenty available to us today. The other one I thought was interesting was question 11 about the 144,000 mm. spoken of. There's a lot of different opinions out there of what that means. Some have even claimed that it's only 144,000 righteous people that will ascend with Christ to go to heaven. Everyone else will just kind of stay in like a lower heaven, kind of happy. Mm -hmm. um, but the answer didn't really answer to me, what the heck? <laughs> so I was thinking, well, what is it? Is he saying that there's maybe 144,000 prophets and they need to be scattered or they were preordained and they're scattered throughout the life cycle of this earth to be in all, you know, how it says in every nation, kindred, tongue and people? Maybe. I, I don't know. It still didn't really answer something to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of goes along with um, the questions they have about the seven seals and the first thousand years and that the earth has an existence of seven thousand years. These numbers, I don't know that they're necessarily meant to be 
exact representations of that period of time or that number of people. Kind of like 40 days and 40 nights, you know, 70 times seven um, that we're supposed to forgive people. It's kind of like there, there's a, a certain number. And the earth, 7,000 years, well, we've already learned from the scriptures that a day for us is not the same as a day for the Lord. So what is 7,000 years? Is it just a, it's just a way of separating the dispensations, right? Way of saying this is a dispensation and then another one happens in these period of time. For the Lord, he's just dividing it up in an even way, but it may not necessarily mean that the earth's only been around for 7,000 years for us. Right. The, the whole seal thing, I always think about it as, uh, this is kind of weird, all right, but I always think about it as stages. There are seven required stages for the fulfillment of the Earth's purpose and right. this mortal existence. And each one of those stages, it's almost like I think about it about like about our own lives, you know. There's a baby stage where you're being pampered, taking care of Garden of Eden. You know, you're like kicked out and you kicks on a different stage when you're now have you're like assimilating, learning. And there's another. Then you have your teenage years by the dark ages, you could call that. Maybe. <laughs> and then you have a, like a like a marriage work professional stage. And you have like an after that. That's the way I view it, because I don't see what purpose it serves, knowing specifically where you are on these thousand years and. Just my opinion, like it's never really changed my behavior because one, I don't control where I am on that timeline. I don't, I didn't control the timing of my birth, you know. So well, knowing that, but if you somehow knew where you were on those seven thousand years, that would imply that you also know when time is up. You also know when the seven thousand years are over. Yeah. And we also know from the scriptures that no man knoweth, right? So it's kind of like. To, to think that that's a, an actual measurement of real time, uh, I think that that's a bit naive. I think that it's it's not it's not saying the Earth has only been around for seven thousand years or only will be around for seven thousand years. It's it's just saying a long time, <laughs> you know, and that there's increments of of that long time that are split up into these different seals. And like you said, kind of that same principle of line upon line, precept upon precept. Every seal reveals new information or is a new era for people to learn and grow and have experiences on earth um kind of think about it like when we're told as youth a lot you know you were saved for these times and stuff like that um there might be some truth to that in the sense that this seal that we're in now this time period that we're in this dispensation meets all of the the requirements for your spiritual growth that you need you, if you had been born in the pioneer times, you would have had other needs met, you know, for your spiritual growth. Yeah, maybe it also helps us not have uh, dispensation envy over others. <laughs> right. To know that you, if if the Lord is the one that's controlling the timing of what spirit goes when in what time period, then you being in this specific time is not an accident or a mistake, you know, although due to upbringing and people's agency, sometimes it can feel like an accident and a mistake (laughs) or, you know, not fitting in or having other challenges and issues, you know, so he controls the time and that, that makes it so you have to trust in his timing. You know, you can only do the best you can. And when I look for comfort in the scriptures, 
There is only one verse in Revelation I looked at. The rest of the book, I have tucked it away to the side. <laughs> because I don't feel like there's very much practical things that apply to me in my everyday life, like I do in other scriptures, yeah. like the Beatitudes in the New Testament, like the example of the Book of Mormon prophets and their commandments, you know, and, and the likeness of their experience likened to our day. And John the Revelator was meant to write kind of, it's almost like it's treated as if he wrote what the future is going to be written in stone. Yeah. And I think it's my opinion that Heavenly Father knows what's going on and when the timing is for different occurrences to happen. And there are distinct things that the Lord, the Heavenly Father and the Lord and Jesus Christ, you know, and the Holy Ghost, whatever, the, the Godhead does during the dispensation of this or the life cycle of this earth experience. And I think some of these things are to say they know, they have all things measured, and they know when it's time to make a new covenant, call a new prophet, take away their authority or, or those that have the authority from the earth. Let the people wander in the wilderness, in, in essence, for 40 years. Then have a restoration, right? Like, I think it's, for me, I take it more a different approach on these scriptures because for me, it just says the Lord knows the timing and they are actively involved and they have almost like these signposts. They, the plan is set. They're not making it or winging it as they won't go along. The, God knows, and I feel like he's done this before. Yeah. You know, he, he knows what's happening when it's time to act. The benefit for us in this is to encourage our trust in the Lord and his timing. Encourage us to, you know, these greater things that are overcomplicated, one of those things. I, I often feel like the veil is there for a reason. It's there for a reason. We can't know everything. We have to walk by faith because that's the way we develop our spiritual muscles, you know. And then we can truly say, I know where I belong. Where, you know, if if we were just, this is a weird thought, but I've been thinking a lot about why the atonement has to be infinite. And I feel like it's an infinite atonement because Christ didn't pay for a checklist of sins. He paid for every possibility and flavor in in variance because if he didn't then i feel like we truly wouldn't be free we wouldn't really have agency there would be this predestination right and because there is none of that and you are always free to act that atonement needs to cover you at the 12th hour or it needs to start covering you at noon you know <laughs> Or whatever it may be, you know. It's interesting about the two prophets raised up to the Jewish nation. It makes it sound like they're going to be Jewish prophets, right? Of Jewish descent. Or it could mean two prophets that are raised up specifically to go preach to the Jewish nation. Yeah, and I've also heard a lot of variation on the, the interpretation of the use of the word prophet there. Like... Is it an actual prophet? Is it an apostle? Is it a 70? Could they just be missionaries called to serve and teach the gospel in Jerusalem? Like, what, why why would it have to be a prophet, like an actual, like, President Nelson, you know? It could just be two missionaries that are 
prophesying in the sense that they're teaching the gospel to the people in Jerusalem, which seems a lot more realistic to me. Because <laughs> obviously, if there's two prophets and they are suddenly going to Jerusalem, people are going to be like, wait a second, you know, <laughs> what's happening? Well, it, the, the fact that we have one prophet that has all the keys. Yeah. I think it's kind of unique to our dispensation. Yeah. I feel like there probably has been others. But when the keys were restored to Joseph, there were several personages. There wasn't one person who just said, hey, I got them all. I'll do this. Take a shortcut, everybody. <laughs> you know, let me just pass them all at once. No, there were several different keys scattered throughout time, right? Or or in this sense, those keys represent very specific knowledge and a mandate to do right. a specific task. And so, you know, like you had Lehi was called to be a prophet. We take him as through his visions and stuff and dreams he was called to be a prophet but he was still alive at the same time who was it jeremiah jeremiah they yeah. talked about jeremiah was cast into prison and then you talk about in book of mormon there are many times when there's like multiple prophets around you have samuel the lamanite and you have helaman and nephi the third or nephi the second whatever you know out and about doing things and then well you even have it within lehi's own family like nephi starts to do things and it even says sometimes you know i did prophesy unto my brethren and things like that while his dad is still around so that idea of prophets can mean especially in a, in a thing that's coming from revelation where everything is a symbol of something else um could mean a lot of things um i, I can see a, a time when the earth is in a lot of tumultuous situations even more so than now but we have missionaries spread even more broadly than we do now. And maybe being called to a place like Jerusalem isn't super unusual. But then something like this happens where these prophets are, these individuals are treated in this way. Um, it, it could be like that. I don't know. There's a lot of things in there that are still, to me, kind of like you said, I can't really attach a, a practical daily application to them. So they kind of, I struggle to find meaning. In a lot of it yeah and so did they that's why they asked questions i mean even unfortunately i still don't get it even after getting the answers to their questions yeah <laughs> the next section 78 pretty interesting uh it completely has nothing to do with 77 but it's basically they're being commanded to go and set up a store uh in missouri and newell k whitney the second bishop already had a store going and Sidney Gilbert, who is the agent of the other bishop, Edward Partridge, were basically sent to set this up. Sidney Gilbert was a partner with Newell K. Whitney, Whitney in his store in Independence. So that was definitely something that made sense for them to go and do together. In July of 1831, it says in the uh, Joseph Smith Revelations book, a revelation instructed Sidney Gilbert, who was a partner with Newell K. Whitney and N.K. Whitney & Co., to establish a store in Independence Jackson County, so the church could receive money to buy lands for the good of the saints. Gilbert opened a store in Missouri in early 1832 that was funded in part by Whitney and operated under the same, under the name Gilbert Whit and Whitney. Whitney, who remained in Kirtland, Ohio, to run his own store, which had been in existence since at least 1824, received direction in 1831 to provide funding for the establishment of Zion. This whole, th the whole purpose behind this was uh, to fund mostly the purchase of property. They had this situation where they were trying to establish zion and move everybody over there and they needed to have somewhere for them to land you know when they arrived and land was 
um, I can only imagine, and I'm just thinking like in modern times, if some religion was moving to my area and they were just buying up land all over the place, uh, I have the feeling that land prices would go up suddenly because they're in high demand. Especially because they're like, these are weird random people coming to do this. Um, I'm going to charge them an arm and a leg for them to purchase land in my area, you know? So I'm sure that the first times they started purchasing stuff, it wasn't so bad. But as they went, things probably got more expensive. And it's interesting also in the Revelations in Context book about this, it says, just as he was present at the United Firm's dissolution, Newell K. Whitney was present at its formation. As a bishop, Whitney attended a meeting of high priests in Kirtland in March 1832. At that meeting, the prophet Joseph Smith received revelation, now Doctrine and Covenants 78, that instructed Joseph, Sidney Rigdon, and Bishop Whitney to travel to Missouri to oversee the formation of an organization of the literary and mercantile establishments of my church. At the time, Sidney Gilbert, an agent of Bishop Edward Partridge in Independence, Missouri, operated a store on behalf of the church, and Whitney's store in Kirtland was also designated as a church storehouse. So there you go. That's another way of saying uh, some of the same stuff, but it's clear that this was um, an enterprise in order to generate funds to buy land. And I, I find it interesting that the Lord didn't say, let's just get more donations or we just need to add more people. Because if if you go tell three of your friends and they go tell three of their friends, <laughs> this is not a pyramid scheme. This is we're going to start a legitimate business, and from that business, the funds that we generate, we're going to fund the building of Zion. Um, it, it encourages a, an attitude of industry, an attitude of productivity that pervades a lot of LDS culture even to today, where it's like, in many ways, you, can, you need to find a way to sustain yourself and be self-reliant. And uh, that's kind of what this is teaching me. Anyways, I read it, I was like, it's the Lord telling them there's not going to be just stuff falling from heaven about this all the time. You're going to have to work and save and be industrious in order for this to work out. Yeah, for me, the, the thing that really stuck out was the way the Lord organizes his saints and commands them. Basically, by doing these things, you'll prosper. He He's like helping them develop a society and a civilization. And it. And I can only imagine that this is very similar to what was taught to Lehi and Nephi when they came over. Because we know that they grew, the Nephites and Lamanites both grew, into great, huge civilizations that had very complicated forms of government, money, trading. I was listening today to a thing about, about the Inca Empire and how they had over 10,000 miles, oh no, it was either 10 or 100, but I'm just going to stick with 10. 10,000 miles of roads, mm. you know, in a civilization like that, you know, and I'm not saying that the Incas, but, but it's most likely they were influenced by the Nephites and Limits, if not were the Nephites and Limits. <laughs> but I, I often, it, it's, it's strange to think about it from one angle where you think, wait, wait a second here. Where's the separation between church and state, you know? Where, <laughs> hang on a second. And if Christ from the beginning, through Adam and Eve, established all these things, and Adam and Eve were taught by angels and by Christ and Heavenly Father, then they taught them how to 
do a lot of things in create these these organizations and structures of government. And sometimes you think, oh, well, the church resembles a lot government. And I would challenge that to flip it around to say, no, human governments resemble a lot the organization in Zion and all of these things that the Lord has always wanted his people to have. I, I don't know. I, I just, I just, I, I like it. I, I really like it because I, I'm a big sucker for practical commandments and instruction. <laughs> and a lot of this is like that. Now, there there does come some trials with it. And, you know, Zion is, a we're told, is a place for the pure heart where you have all things in common. You have this order. Then you also have, like, the United Order and other things that come about, different banks and different things that get brought about just for they to be industrious. And to me, it would be little wonder that this is brought up to the saints after they were just given the Book of Mormon who that has all of these things in it as well. And it's funny because it tells us in book, in section... Eight, uh, 78 verse 8 where it says now verily thus saith the Lord it is expedient that all things be done unto my glory by you who are joined together in this order or in other words let my servant Neil K. Whitney and my servant Joseph Mitchell here and my servant Sidney Rigdon sit in counsel with the saints which are in Zion otherwise Satan seeketh to turn their hearts away from the truth and they become blinded and understand not the things which are prepared for them Wherefore, a commandment I give unto you to prepare and organize yourselves by a bond or everlasting covenant that cannot be broken. So it's it's very interesting that the the footings or the foundation of these societies in govern like day to day governance type of things that the Lord has given have to be built on this bond, on this covenant, on this unity. Or else it says, if you break these things, well, it says up, up or, uh, in verse 10 again, it says, or you become blinded and understand not the things prepared for them. Okay. So you can start losing the understanding of why things must be a certain way or done in order. And if it's not done for the Lord and you do it for your own pride and, and greed, and you break this covenant and you, in a way, you turn away from these principles you will be delivered to the buffetings of Satan and all that stuff. And the cherry on top on all of this is verse 17, 18, and 19, where he tells them, after explaining, very, very, being very particular, <laughs> he says, Verily I say unto you, ye are as little children, and ye have not as yet understood how great things the Father has in his own hands prepared for you. And ye cannot bear all things now, nevertheless be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. And the kingdom is yours, and the blessings thereof are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. And he who receiveth all these things in thankfulness shall be made glorious, and the things of the earth shall be added upon him even a hundredfold, yet even more. And it's unbelievable because although a lot of these, let's say, social experiment enterprises, a lot of these things may have in, in a certain point of view failed, and, and create a lot of turmoil and things. These same principles are what guide the church today still. This is still in effect. It wasn't like, oh, the United Order didn't work. There is no Zion, you know, and then all these things. Well, you, you look at it, and they're going through some, some hard times of trying to establish Zion. And 
you kind of wonder why why wouldn't the Lord just say, I'm going to make this easy. I'm going to make it possible. I'm going to give you all this land. People are going to turn to you and I'm going to force them, take over their minds and give them, have them give you their land, you know, whatever. He could have done that. He's he's omnipotent, right? He could have made that happen. But he's teaching them the principles of if ye are not one, ye are not mine. If you can't work together in this cause to build Zion, then Zion is nothing. Zion is meaningless. The whole principle of having this place where everyone is living in harmony and they're all working together for, for a singular cause is to bring the gospel back to the earth and restore it. And it's not something that you can shortcut. And I think he's he's trying to teach them this. I want you to build, I want you to start a store. I want you to use the profits from that store to buy land, to, to have people to move here. Uh, Newell K. Whitney, you've said that you're going to give everything you, you have to the building of Zion. I need you to help fund all of this establishment of a store and buying of land with your already existing store. But you're not alone in this. Like everyone is contributing to this. And when you think of that in our context today, the way that the church works today, we're not able to do all of the humanitarian aid that we do. We're not able to do all of the, quite frankly, it's also humanitarian aid, but the social services we provide for people in our communities when they can't pay rent or they have hospital bills they can't pay for. And sometimes the church pays for that. We can't do any of that if everyone's not contributing something to the cause. And yeah, it's a temporal aspect to the gospel. It's a money side, right? But at the same time, the Lord's showing us that even that can be taken as a spiritual activity of faith. All those contributions to build Zion, to buy land, those were not just solely tempor temporal things. It was how much faith do you have in the cause that you're willing to part with this for the bigger benefit? I also think that we need to look at Revelation, and it's been very obvious with President Nelson, the revelation is ongoing. Yeah. And in some cases, we've even been told the restoration is not done. Yeah. Sometimes we take events and we put a period at the end of it. Like, that's it. It happened. That's that's done. But in verse 18 again, where he says, uh, you cannot bear all things now. Meaning the Lord gives to us in increments that we can bear. And then he says, in, once you realize that I'm not telling you everything because one, you cannot assimilate or you can't perform at that level. Don't let it discourage you. Be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. Meaning, I am with you till the end of this. And he, that's why he's who he is, the Savior. That's why it's his gospel. It's his principle. And sometimes we can be tempted to think, oh, you know, I cannot bear all things now. Or I failed at this. Or, or you know, I can only give this much. Or I'm not, a, I don't have a cool calling in the Lord. I just, all I do is just make the flyers. <laughs> it's, in a way, for me, I am very grateful that the Savior is willing to reward all of us with something that is beyond our understanding. And just like to be in good standing on the church, there isn't a, a magical quantity that you have to give. You just have to give of yourself, give of your time, and do the best you can, you know? And you can be counted part. And just with with these things where, where we're giving of our time and our efforts, and maybe you don't have land to give, maybe you don't, you're not a sculptor, 
you know, but dang it, you can talk to someone. You can send an email. You can help someone. You know, we we need to be very careful. We don't sell ourselves too short and make ourselves by our own rationale uh, excuse ourselves out of the gospel because the Lord is basically saying every, there's space for everyone. Uh, if you're willing to contribute to Zion, if you're willing to work in his kingdom. And it's funny because it's an evolution of things. You know, we began with a simple invitation. You know, come buy honey without money or milk and price. You know, come buy honey and, you know, whatever that scripture is, right? And then when you come, it's like, well, take some faith and create some covenants. And then do the best you can at those. And now that you are in the covenant, help build the kingdom. Help the cause, and what building the kingdom and the cause is, is helping Christ bless and help others. And by doing that, you cannot become like him without doing some of the things he does, which is also comforting because we're not made to be servants. We're made to be like him. And in doing that, we do serve others. The last two sections are kind of tied together a little bit. Um, Jared Carter spent much of his 1831 and 1832 serving missions in mainly in Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont. And he was coming back home to Ohio and he wanted to go and visit Joseph Smith to see what he should do concerning his ministry in the ensuing season, he wrote. And so on, on the 12th of March, 1832, Joseph Smith dictated a revelation directing Carter to preach the gospel again in the eastern United States. When he left for his new mission on the 15th of April, 1832, he likely had the manuscript of the Revelation um, for this section with him. And I find it interesting that he probably had it with him, almost kind of like, here's your call. Here's your, this is, I want you to take this with you so that you can look on it as you serve. It's it's kind of a, the section that it, it covers in the lesson manual for Sunday school is, the call to serve God matters more than where we serve. and you know, in his in this section, it's only four verses long, but he's basically told, hey, you're going to go to the eastern countries, teach the gospel. You'll be accompanied by the spirit, essentially. And don't 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 fear like I'm with you. Which is probably a great little thing to have from the prophet as you go on your mission. The next one is about Stephen Burnett. Um, and he's also told go into the world and teach the gospel to every creature that cometh under the sound of your voice. And inasmuch as you desire a companion, I will give unto you my servant Eden Smith. And so he's they're told to go teach the gospel to the north or to the south, to the east or to the west. It mattereth not, for ye cannot go amiss. It's like, look, <laughs> doesn't matter where you go. We need you somewhere to teach the gospel. Everywhere is good, right? And so going back to that lesson title, The Call to Serve God Matters More Than Where We Serve. I, I was fortunate to be called to serve in the beautiful country of Guatemala. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. It was a challenging place. It was a challenging thing for me personally, but I came out of that feeling like that's where I was meant to be. And I think that if I had been called to go anywhere, I would have come back with that same feeling that this is where the Lord wanted me to be. And I think that that is often missed. I think sometimes in especially LDS culture, there's a glamorization of foreign missions over domestic missions or certain places are more desirable than others. And that's 
utter and complete foolishness because what is the Lord saying? You can go north, you can go south, you can go east, you can go west. It mattereth not. You cannot go amiss. It needs to be taught everywhere. And there are people ready everywhere. And so, yeah, when you hear, you know, we watched the the movie, the RM or whatever, I think it's called the, where was it, Boise or Rexburg or something. And it's kind of a funny joke because it's like you, you get to the next state over and it's full of Mormons. But at the same time, yeah, you know what? A lot of work gets done there. And for the longest time, the Provo mission was one of the highest baptizing missions in the church. And it seems counterintuitive because that's where BYU is and there's so many members there and all that. But the fact of the matter is uh, there's a lot of non-members everywhere. And there's a lot of people ready to hear the gospel everywhere. Um, I had the same thought about the mission calls. It was about, especially a lot of missionaries during COVID have had plans change, mission huh. calls change. Yeah. You know, being reassigned or even had their mission shortened. And we see those same things in Doctrine Covenants happen to many people. Their mission gets reassigned. They get changed. You know, they go somewhere and it appears, even Oliver Cavery's, right? It was go to the Lamanites and it appears totally like right up at epic failure, right? And uh, it doesn't take away from the fact that you were called and you were all called by Christ. You know, his vineyard is the whole earth. So any spot in that vineyard where you can labor is a good spot to be. And you never know. You you never know. We should be we should take great pride in just being counted as part of the team. And wherever the team needs us, that's where we'll be. I think this also extends to uh, you don't have to have served a mission to understand this concept either. When my wife and I were looking for a house to buy, we were like, we want to go somewhere where we're going to be needed, where we're going to be able to contribute to our ward, to our community, to our neighborhood, um, where we're going to be beneficial to those around us. And I think if you approach things like that, I personally have found that that was really helpful for me because no matter where I ended up, I knew it's what the, it's where the Lord wanted me to be. And then you start looking around and you're like, okay, so why did he want me here? What what can I do? What should I be involved with? Who can I talk to? Who can I engage with that will help him fulfill his needs here? You know, if I'm asking, where can I be used? How can I be in a good place to, to be your servant? Then I need to serve too. Not just be like, okay, I'm here and I'm in the right place and this is so great and I love it. Okay, well, what are you doing about it then? Because I think a lot of times also we, we benefit from the community that we live in. We really like it. We feel comfortable. We're surrounded by people that are friendly and we get too comfortable to the point where we are like, I don't want to stir the pot or I don't want to. I'm, I'm good how things are. But the Lord's saying, you know, I'm with you and you cannot go amiss, even if it's in your backyard. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.